all I knew was it was time to, as you say, make a pivot, right? It was time for me to make a change. And I realized life wasn't going to just fall in my lap. I had to sort of go find it. Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner, and it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Hello, good morning, and welcome to Clear Choices. This is your host, Rob Eigner. Once again, I have a phenomenal guest who is certain to inspire you and give you pause to think about the choices you're making in your life. I'm speaking today to Marianne Franz. After several years of producing wine events across the country and leading wine tours in Bordeaux, France for American Express, she founded the American Wine School in 2001. She's a certified wine educator. She holds a diploma in wine and spirits from the Wine and Spirit Education Trust of London and has also earned the Advanced Sommelier Qualification from the Court of Master Sommeliers. She is an educational ambassador for Wine Australia USA. She's a certified Spanish wine educator, and she launched the Wine School Guild courses in Chicago and is a French wine scholar. She's always been drawn to education. Prior to discovering her passion for wine, she taught high school chemistry after graduating with a Bachelor of Science from Wright State University. Most recently, she completed a two-year graduate program resulting in a Master of Education in Instructional Design for Digital Learning and is currently developing a digital wine education module. In addition to teaching, she has produced culinary events across the United States with the world's top chefs and winemakers. Outside of the classroom, Marianne continues to contribute to various wine publications and conduct speaking engagements for corporate clients all over the world. Welcome, Marianne. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Rob. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. So this is really impressive. So many people enjoy wine, enjoy food, enjoy travel, and you have found a way to make that what you do for a living. Yeah, it's it's a it's fun. I mean, it becomes part of your lifestyle. So you're your job, your work actually becomes pretty interwoven into your lifestyle overall. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, it's so many people, I think, fantasize or dream about having a, a job that really speaks to their passion. And it sounds like you've, you've done that. Would you say that's true? Sure, absolutely. And I think it's it's offered me a lot throughout my life and a lot of interesting travel and meeting interesting people and certainly having great food and wine, which who doesn't love that? But you know, it wasn't it wasn't something that I actually knew that I was interested in. So it wasn't something that I was always passionate about. I sort of developed and discovered this passion kind of a little bit later in life. So so tell us how that happened. How, how long were you a school teacher? Well, after I graduated from Wright State, I decided that I didn't really want to teach school. And I went to LA with my girlfriend, my college roommate, and we were going to you know, take on LA. And I had no job. And I ended up getting a job in Frusenglaza. 
ice cream shop uh, on Santa Monica Beach. So I know my parents were super proud that I <laughs> took my <laughs> I took my chemistry degree and I went to the beach in L.A. And my uh, college roommate ended st- ended up staying about 17 years, but I stayed for about a year and it just wasn't for me, you know, and it took me a lot to kind of realize L.A. wasn't my thing, you know, and I so then I, I decided to to come back and teach. Yeah, so well, I went but back your, to but your your chemistry degree had to be useful understanding the different ice cream flavors. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just with the right temperature to get the scoop, you know what I mean, <laughs> to make it come out. But I did I came back to Ohio and I got to tell you, I felt a little defeated as a young person because teaching to me sounded super boring and it was something that my my father actually pushed me into, not in a bad way, but I was always into theater and I wanted to be a theater major. And, you know, I was in community plays when I was a kid and I was in all the high school plays and I sang and I took voice lessons and I took piano lessons. And then when it came time to go to college, I wanted to go into theater. And my father was like, no, you know, you, um, you're a woman and you need to get a job to support yourself because one day you could have to support yourself. And so he thought, you know, teaching is a good job for a woman, which by the way, didn't sit with me correctly either, right? Sure. Uh, why do why isn't a lawyer a good job for a woman? You know, but this was the late seventies, early eighties, and so of course, teaching or nursing, some traditional female role. So I wanted him to pay for college, and that was sort of the give and take that we had to have. And it's one of those instances for me where I think that's when I let life happen to me. You know, that is when I was still under my parents' uh, guardianship. And they had the money and I didn't. And so I kind of had to go with what they wanted. And that to me is all about letting life happen to you instead of making choices to, to carve your way out. And, and it's, un, it's understandable, you know, that someone at that young age, you know, would be more influenced by others, particularly their parents. So that's understandable. When, when you think about had you studied theater what do you think would have happened? Like, what, what do you feel like was the thing that you possibly missed out on in terms so, of your path? Uh, it's twofold, actually, Rob. Good question. Because I think when I was younger, I thought that I was going to sort of be a star. You know, I, I thought I would have this great career that I could travel and I could be in shows. And, you know, I'd worked in theater all my life in for summers, all through college. You know, I, I even worked in theater. And so I really wanted to be a part of that. And I thought it would really show me the world and sort of give me an opportunity to express myself. And obviously, I like to talk. And so that was something that I was interested in as well. As an older person, looking back, I'm glad that I didn't do it because my father said something to me when I was upset and, and he wanted me you know, to follow what he was saying. And he said, look, Marianne, if you truly want to be in theater, you will be in theater. And it doesn't take a degree to be able to be an actress. If you want to do it, you will do it. And he's kind of right. Yeah. And obviously, I didn't want it enough. Because right. even after I got out from underneath my parents' influences, I didn't go for it. Yeah, that's so, true. you know, as an older person, I'm like, yeah, he was kind of right, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get that. I, I find often when I'm coaching people in the various fields that I, I provide coaching and support, I notice that, you know, people say they want something and I respond to them in sort of similar to how your father did. I'm like, well, you know, if you want it bad enough, it's going to occur. Right. You know, you're going to you're going to be committed and intentional, not dreaming and wishing you're going to just you're going to make it occur. Right. And look, 
the the I think I think equity has the highest unemployment rate of any union in the country. So it is really super hard to make it as an actress. So in my dad's defense, I can see he's like, look, I want you to, you know, go to school and learn how to do something so that you can support yourself. And teaching came a little bit later. I actually decided to major in chemistry first. And then when I got towards the end of my senior year, I thought, what am I going to do with this chemistry degree? Because I'm not really the type of person that's going to sit in a lab or do lab work. And I thought, well, I better, I better add the teaching degree after all. And so I stayed in school another couple of semesters to be able to get the teaching certificate. Interesting. Yeah. So, so let, me, let me pivot from that. So you spoke quite a bit about you know, traditional female roles and your dad's sort of expectations for you to kind of follow the safe sort of risk-free route, you know, which I get my parents would have been or were exactly the same, but you know, you're a sommelier, which is a very rare distinction for anyone in the world to have uh, in the wine industry. But particularly given that based on my research, 12% of all the sommeliers in the world are women. So you ended up sort of bucking that trend. And you also ended up taking a lot of risk, at least from my perspective, you know, you left a you know, the traditional world of teaching. And then you had a, uh, at some point had a more kind of stable job working for American Express, putting on events. And now you have your own wine school and you travel around the world giving events and you are completely entrepreneurial. You only make money when you are able to sell yourself and your offerings. So talk to us a little bit about all that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I did teach for a couple of years. I taught in Ohio at high school chemistry for a couple of years, and it just didn't sit right. Again, it just didn't sit right with me. And so I knew I had to make a change. And I have always been of the mindset that you can try something, but if you're not happy, you know, you're sort of in control of your own happiness, aren't you? And if you can, you need to make changes to make yourself a little bit happier. I had no idea what I was going to do. And so I, on the last day of teaching, and this is no joke, the last day of my teaching, I'm all of like 24 years old or 23 years old. I packed everything I could in my car and I put everything that I couldn't pack in my car in a storage bin. And I got in my car after school and I drove to New York and actually to Connecticut where I was going to work the summer in a theater oddly enough, back to my theater, right? Yeah, I'll show you. I'll show you, dad. So I, and, and I didn't know anybody. I didn't have another job outside of this, you know, theater job, which doesn't actually pay very well. All I knew was it was time to, as you say, make a pivot, right? It was time for me to make a change. And I realized life wasn't going to just fall in my lap. I had to sort of go find it. And I remember my grandmother and I was very, very close to my grandmother. And she said to me when I left, she gave me, you know, a little envelope with some money in it. And she, when she handed it to me, she said, go find what it is you're looking for and then come home. <laughs> that was an interesting, it kind of always sat with me, you know? And so I, I uh, got hang my on, car. Hang and on, drove, Marianne. How, yeah. how, how old were you? Probably about 24, 23, 24. Okay. So, so like would you say that at that age, 24 or so, that was the first moment where you're like, I'm taking control of this. It is. You know, when I went to LA after college, I thought I was taking control, but it didn't work. And so that that rocked me a little bit. So I came back to Ohio and had two solid years of responsible teaching, and then I was ready to to rock it again. Mm-hmm. And so, and I was nervous because I tried it once in California and it didn't work. So now I'm going to New York, I'm going to the other coast and see if that works for me, which it did. You know, mm. I ended up living there for many, many years. But yeah, it was a very scary thing to do. I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anyone. I had never been before. I'd never mm. seen the city. Wow. So it really was uh, a, kind of a scary 
ballsy, if you will, thing for me to do it, especially when you're thinking that it's in the eighties, you know, no cell phones, right? Yeah. So, so, so talk to me or about, you know, flash forward now, you find your way into the wine and food and event business and, and really being an entrepreneur is, is where I want to go. How scary or difficult was that? And what were your choices around running your own business and, and getting into the business that you got into again, particularly, you know, every time I go to a high end five-star kind of restaurant, I can't recall a female sommelier in the restaurant. I, I mean, maybe, yeah. maybe I don't think I've ever come across it. Yeah. So you, you entered a male dominated world. It's, it's male dominated now. And it was even more male dominated 20 some years ago when I started it. So thanks to the good old New York Times, um, I found a job at American Express, literally circled the job with a red pen in the New York <laughs> Times, right? And I interviewed with them and it was a job to produce events. Mm-hmm. And I got the job because my boss said, oh, teachers are super organized and this takes a lot of organization. So I lucked into this job and then I ended up parlaying it into the food and wine. Now, this is the early 90s when the Food Network was just coming out. And so there were no celebrity chefs, but Emeril Lagasse was was on the verge of, of his bam and his big stardom and all that was just happening, right? So I had, and it is kismet, it was right place, right time. I was able to do events with Emeril Lagasse, with Robert Madavi, with Julia Child. I mean, I learned from the best of the best. You couldn't touch them now, right? But back then, they were very accessible, especially if you had something like American Express behind your name, right? Yeah, it makes sense. And so I, I learned as I went. I knew nothing about food and wine. But I really wanted to have a forte. And so I worked really hard. And anything I could grab and read on food and wine, I would. Well, I thought I would go the food route until one day, Rob, I was in Bordeaux, France. And it was my first tour that I was working on with American Express. I had never even had a glass of Bordeaux before in my life, right? (laughs) I didn't have any money. I couldn't have any Bordeaux wine. And so we're in the cellars of Chateau Margaux. And Chateau Margaux is one of those iconic uh, Bordeaux chateaus. And the head of the chateau is, is named, was named Paul Pontier. He's no longer with us. But Paul Pontier was talking to the group that I was shepherding about Chateau Margaux. And he spoke to the glass, holding it up. All the people were in awe. And he spoke to the glass. And it was so romantic. I don't know if it was his cute French accent or the fact that he was darling or because I was you know, mesmerized in the cellar. But I looked and I said, that's what I want to do. That is what I want to do. I want to make people feel this way. It wasn't the wine that got me. It was the way the wine made the people feel. And I thought that is like controlling an audience. Mm-hmm. That is like theater. And boom, that was it. That was my aha moment where I said, I have got to get into this. So Uh, I started studying at the International Wine Center in Manhattan. And yes, there were probably a couple of women in the class, mainly men uh, in the class. But I also thought quickly, you know, wine and spirits is definitely a man's world, but it gives me a point of difference. Mm -hmm. So I thought I could take that point of difference and sell it. That's something that I could actually use for me instead of against me. Mm -hmm. You know? Let me ask you a question. So you worked with... uh... Some people who had their catchphrases, bam. Does Marianne have a catchphrase when she tastes an amazing glass of wine? Is there something that you find yourself saying in every class about you know, a, a food or wine experience? 
Well, you know, we, I, I teach people how to taste and how to write super good tasting notes. And one of the things that I always say, and my students kind of uh, throw it back at me, is I say, the wine is. So when I look at the students and I want them to comment on the wine, I'll call their name out and I'll say, Rob, the wine is, and then you start giving your notes. So that's sort of my catchphrase. The wine is. That's and great. Talk on more about it. But yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting category to be in wine because I think what really grabbed me is it involves history. It involves religion. It involves geography, topography, science, mm. culture. It's everything. And then you and, get to be in front of, wine. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I didn't mean no, go that. ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, then you get to be in front of an audience too, which kind yes. of speaks to your early desires to be an actor. Uh, and, and you get to, enter, you're really, edu you're educating, but you're entertaining. You're educating, you're entertaining. And, and the look on the people's faces when they get it or when they, they taste their first, you know, great wine or they're understanding what tannins are or whatever. I just love the light bulb going off. It was always my favorite part of teaching is, is seeing the people. So I think the motivation, yes, wine is my passion, but I think seeing the, the look on people's faces when they get it, that's what drives it. So let's talk a little bit about what you've learned along the way. We've already covered, you know, the kind of traditional path you took early on. And then even the American Express situation was stable. It was a stable yeah. job. Oh, yeah. And then at some point you went out and you started a wine school. You started to be an entrepreneur. And I know from reading uh, your background, you even had a retail location at one point that, that maybe didn't work out as well as some of the other things. So talk to us about some of the challenges and failures about taking the risk of being a business owner. Yeah, well, what prompted me to, to break away from American Express and start my own business uh, was 9-11, actually. So mm. when 9-11 happened, you know, Windows on the World was one of my clients, and American Express was right there at ground zero, too. And so when that tragedy happened, I realized that I needed to, to do something else. And I had no idea what I was going to do. And my husband was actually the first one that said, you know, you like to teach, you like to talk, and you like wine. Why don't you start a wine school? And I thought, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard of, right? <laughs> <laughs> to this day, I have to just look at him and go, you were right, you were right. That's a really hard thing to do, to tell your husband he's right. But at any rate, he, uh, he kind of supported me. And I think one of the things entrepreneurs need early on is a support system. You got to find the person who believes in you. I was lucky enough to have that person be my husband. And I think having that support system allows you to step out and be willing to, to risk and, and to make a mistake. Yeah, and I did you, make mistakes. When you have someone behind you who's like, hey, look, if we lose some money on this, I, still, I, I believe in you. I support you. We're going to be okay. That's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. And that's, and that's all I needed. You know, I didn't need, and I think if you think about teachers, Rob, they are entrepreneurs. They are the head of their classroom. Their classroom is their business, right? Sure. And so when I think about entrepreneurism, I think, gosh, teachers are. And, and for me to jump from being a teacher to actually running a business isn't a big jump as you think, because teachers, you know, run their own classroom. And then when I was working for American Express, I was running my own events. Again, my little business. It was like your business within their business. Yeah. But now it's scary because now you're jumping out into your own. And, you know, in the beginning, it's super hard. You know, I would, I would have to beg people, my friends, to be plants in the audience so that I could have a nice, you know, <laughs> have a nice uh, full classroom. And, and it took a lot. It's been 18 years. There's been a lot of pivots and a lot of bumps in the road. And you mentioned the retail shop that we had, the wine bar called Cellar Door. And um, it was great. It was what I thought was the end. 
to me, that was the end point. I was going to have a freestanding space. I was going to be able to control everything, run everything, have retail, have classes, have a wine bar. It was going to be perfect, right? It was the hardest thing I've ever done. My husband calls it my MBA. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) It was the hardest thing I've ever done because it cost about as much as an MBA. And it also, it, it it was 45 days in a row with no break. You know, I, I never took a day off. And the problem with it is when you said earlier, be careful kind of what you wish for. It's not always what you want. I was not teaching. I was not talking about wine. I wasn't seeing that electricity and, and that that enlightened look on people's face. I was making sure the toilets were running okay, that the ceiling didn't fall in, that the health department uh, wasn't going to catch us doing. I mean, I was an operator. And, and if I can interject, uh, you know, you're you're, you probably, I'm assuming you have worries of like, Hey, I've got a lease. I've got, you know, licensing I have to deal with. I have to stock enough wine. I have to make sure I've got inventory. There's just all this stuff. That's not within, it's not what you wanted to be doing or thought you'd be doing. No, two full, two or three full-time people, you know, and these, these young girls that were working for me, they went out and they bought new cars. And I remember one day they said, Marianne, look out the window, look out the window. I look out the window and there are two brand new shiny cars. And they go, we both bought cars last night. And I thought, oh my gosh, I, I have to continue this to pay them because they just bought cars. Right. And I looked at, and I said to my husband that night, I said, I just bought two new cars last night. You know, I mean, <laughs> it's, it, it, you feel this responsibility for your employees and it's just, it's a way different ball game. And so after four or five years of it, I just, I, I let it go. I did not renew a, a lease. I sat at my desk and I thought, I do this a lot when I have to make a decision. I get up early. I get a piece, a blank piece of paper. I clear my desk and I get a blank piece of paper and a cup of coffee. And I sit there and I just think and I write notes down and then I make my decision, right? And that's what I did. And I decided I wanted to quit. I didn't want to do it anymore. It just, I wasn't happy. I wasn't doing what I love. I was doing what I thought I love. And I think the reason having a freestanding building and you know being a business owner with brick and mortar, it made me feel real. And it made me feel successful. And uh, in the end, it was anything but. So I got rid of everything and I revamped my business into more towards online and more towards really delving into WSET. And now I'm not just in Cleveland. I'm in Chicago. Well, my headquarters are in Chicago now, but we're Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit. I just opened Detroit this year. Uh, Indianapolis. You know, I'm in the, the game now is I'm going to do what I do, which is teach and teach in multiple locations. I'm not an operator. I'm an educator. And And so I think focusing. hmm? You're the only diploma center for this level of education in the entire Midwest. Yeah, that's something I just got. I'm pretty proud of that. I got that a couple of years ago. So this WSET or the Wine and Spirit Education Trust is sort of like one of two schools in the world of wine, right? And the highest level you can get is the diploma level. And so there are diploma centers that offer the two-year program on the East Coast and on the West Coast, but there was nothing in the middle of the country. Mm -hmm. So a couple of years ago, uh, we became, the American Wine School became the only diploma center in the Midwest. So I'm super, super excited about that and super proud about that. But you know, Rob, one thing that I can say is there's a big difference, I think, in your life as you live your life in thinking you know what what you want and actually doing what makes you happy. And I think sometimes people say, gosh, if I'm that, then that's a sign of success. But that may not be what makes you happy. And so I think a sign of success is a sign of being happy. 
I don't care what you do for a living. It's just being happy. And sometimes there's hard choices that have to be made. And sometimes it's not black and white and in front of you. And you might stumble a couple of times, but you know, without, especially if you're in, running your own business, without stumbling a couple of times, you're probably not doing the best you can do if you don't fail a couple of times. Because boy, you learn quick. They're, they're, they're life, life lessons, right? The stumbling yeah. blocks. No, yeah. absolutely. This is a perfect segue to uh, read to you the quote I selected for you. Mm. So I'm just, I, I pick a quote for every guest uh, that I think is going to resonate or spark something. So I'm going to read this to you and, uh, and just kind of tell me how it resonates with you or surrounding your, your path and your business. Okay. Too often we decide to follow a path that is not really our own, one that others have set for us. We forget that in both cases, though, through both difficult and happy moments, we are living our dream. The difficulties we encounter all seem to make sense when we're following our dream. Wow. Where'd you get that? Just the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so perfect. Can I have it? Yes, I will. I, I will, want that. I will cut yeah. and paste it to you. Oh my gosh, that's so perfect because it's, well, it's it's kind of what I've been saying, isn't it? It's like the stumbling part of life is going to happen and it's going to happen to get to your dreams, but it's just part of the journey. You know, life is a, it really is a marathon. And um, at times you're going to get tired and at times things aren't going to be right, but there's always tomorrow. There's always another day if we're lucky. Right. And so, yeah, I agree with that so much. And honestly, when you're younger, you don't think these stumbling blocks are going to enrich your life or they're going to build character. You know, when you get older, you realize that, oh, that's, that's the bits and pieces that you carry with you. That's the bits and pieces that help you learn and help you get to your dream. You know, and I think understanding what makes you happy and understanding how to get there and that it's going to be kind of a struggle and there's going to be pivots and choices to be made. It sure beats letting life happen to you. Mm-hmm. I it so sure does. totally agree. So let me ask you, you, you spoke earlier and I really, I wanted to interject then, but you were on a great role was um, you talked about when you have to make a big decision, you sit down with that piece of paper and you write things out and you kind of make your decision. Talk to us a little bit more about that process. What's on that piece of paper? Are you going to other people to get feedback advice? Are you doing a pro and con list? Like how are you going about making these significant choices? Cause I think, I think that's always helpful for others to sort of see the process of a successful person they might want to emulate. Yeah. You know, it, it sort of depends on what the problem is, but for example, it might be something as simple as saying, drawing a line between on the paper and having two columns and on one column saying, what makes me happy? What makes me smile? And, and not just within business. So it could be taking a warm bath. It could be uh, reading a good book, listening to someone tell a joke, but I just list things that make me happy. Right. And then I segue it into business or I segue it more into the issue that I'm trying to decide. But I always start with like a super positive angle, like, you know, what is it that that motivates me? Or what is it that makes me happy? Or what is it, whatever question I'm asking myself, I always start from like 30,000 feet up and mm -hmm. just say in life in general, then I get a little more focused. Yeah, but let's focus it more on the issue at hand, right? And I might do pros and cons. I think that's a good way to do it. I also think sometimes thinking like, what don't you like? What are things that you dread? Because dread, dread is 
almost as bad as anger. If people carry anger around, you're never going to be fully successful because it, it consumes too much of your energy. Dread is the same. So what are the things you dread? You know, if you dread Monday mornings, if you dread, what are the things that you dread? Dread weighs on you and it, it can keep you from being successful. So sometimes I make a list of like, what are things that are making me unhappy right now? And what can I do to get around them? You know? And you certainly don't want those things to be part of your job description. Exactly. So how can I craft it? Now, I think you can do this. I mean, I've worked for people and I've worked for myself. I think you can do this in any environment. I think you could do it if you were a stay-at-home mom. I think you could make lists like this. You know what it is? It's, it's allowing yourself or gifting yourself a half an hour to focus on you. And we don't do that very often, right? We're too busy. And how, or, how often do you do it? Um, I'm going to say, well, I'll tell you, I do it every time there's a problem. So maybe a couple times a year, but I definitely at the end of the year do it. Every year at the end of the year, I make 10 goals for the upcoming year, not New Year's resolutions, goals, five are personal and five are business related. And I sit down at the end of the year and, I, and how I come up with those goals, or I think what was working for me, what was not working for me. And I just start writing down everything that comes to my mind. That's great. And then I formulate it. It's almost like a purge at the end of the year. There's almost a, not to sound uh, cliche, but it's almost like a, a cleansing where I just say, you know what? These are the five issues that are personal. These are the five issues that are business. And next year I'm going to work on those. And I keep that piece of paper next to my computer so that I can glance over and see how I'm doing. And then at the end of the year, I say, did I make 80%? Did I make 90% of my goal? Nice. And then if, and, and if I didn't, I mean, like, look, lose 10 pounds has been on the list every single year. <laughs> That's got to be hard when you're in the wine and wine and food business. I, I know, mean. I know. For, I should just take it off my goal list to begin <laughs> with, you know, just forget it. You know, uh, maybe I should just put don't gain 10 more pounds, you know, or something like that. But I mean, I, and I think it's, again, my lifestyle is, I don't have children and my lifestyle is very much business. So I have to, you know, make sure that I carve time out for myself personally. Otherwise I could just work 24 seven. But I think taking time out, no TV, no radio, no computer, no phone, give yourself a half hour or 40 minutes to think quietly. Per week? Just, is that what you're saying? Like per week? Oh, at least a month, maybe a quarter, you could do it a quarter, but I tend to do it when I feel overwhelmed or when I have to make a decision. When I have to make a big choice, I do that. I sit down and I think, let's let's get everything on paper, let's purge everything out, and then let's make the best choice that we can make at that moment that's going to make us happy. And that's served you obviously really well because you're uh, not without challenge and, and not without the bumps on the road that an entrepreneur gets, but you are really, you know, living a life, it sounds like that you know, you didn't even anticipate you'd be able to create for yourself and, and you're enjoying it a lot. Oh yeah. No, I would have never, it was not, it was not something that I set out to do to, to have my own business and to be an entrepreneur. I, not at all, but just, you know, the bumps in the road kind of pushed me in that direction. And it's, you know, I'm, I thank God it's like thankful that I am enjoying what I'm doing. So um, let me let me end with uh, a question that's sort of like the one you ask in your class. You always say the wine is, and so I'm going to ask you, what is next is? Ah, what is next is? Well, I have actually kind of started to plan a little bit. Again, white piece of paper and cup of coffee about what I'm going to be doing in my latter years. And so um, I think I'll always work at some in some fashion, but 
you mentioned that I, I finished this graduate degree. How about that? I started a graduate degree in my 50s, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I did that with, with retirement in mind. And I know that all the learning is going online. And I thought, well, I better learn, I better discover how to design online learning programs. And I could do that from anywhere. So if I'm retired and I don't want to travel as much, I can always do online learning. So I think writing a book uh, that accompanies my online learning program and really pushing forward into the online learning arena is my what is next. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. And thank you so much for sharing with our audience how they can drink in life like you yeah. have and uh, <laughs> see all these puns and cliches. Yeah, I'm coming I know. Up. I always say America's thirst for knowledge. Wine knowledge is growing, you know? Yeah. And and the no. name, name of your wine school and the web address so people can go to it? It's American Wine School and the web address is AmericanWineSchool.com. Awesome. You've been a great guest. I'm inspired. And uh, if it weren't so early, I might go have a, a glass of great wine right now, but I'll, <laughs> I'll do it later. Do that later. Thanks a lot, Rob, for having me on. It's been fun. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. All this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.